three shots were fired at President Kennedy's motorcade. Two priests who were with President Kennedy say he is dead. Horrific moment for every American. They killed the president. I didn't know how many characters had a motive. Joe Kennedy made a deal with the mob to extort them for a million dollars for the campaign. George H.W. Bush insisted that he couldn't remember where he was the day Kennedy was killed. John F. Kennedy was shot by multiple shooters. Many people were pointing to the grassy knoll. The shot came from over there. But there are six eyewitnesses who see a man in the window of the sixth floor. I've not been charged with that. In fact, nobody has said that to me yet. It wasn't Lee Harvey Oswald. He is set up. He's been shot. I spent hours with Nixon. I said to him one day, let me ask you, Mr. President, who really killed John Kennedy? Welcome to episode number 12 of the Conspiracy Conversations. These have been a blast putting together, and we have covered some ground. We've covered ancient civilizations and and, and Nephilim. We've covered... Uh, uh, a whole gamut of different things. And we kind of love having these conversations that you're joining us on Saturday mornings. I don't know if it's like when you're a kid, you got some cereal, you're ready to watch some cartoons, but people are enjoying this because I think it, 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 it brings back the idea that we can, we can look at and discuss things that maybe we understand, maybe we don't, but it's like going to the grocery store. You can put some things in your cart. You don't have to put everything in the whole store there, but uh, you can walk away maybe knowing a little more than you did before. Um, uh, it's an exciting it's an exciting time to be alive because there's more information available than ever before. But you also have to be somewhat discerning to sift through all of the the psyops and, and and white noise and the clutter that's going on. And and our goal in this show is to is to bring people to the table that have done thousands of hours of research on a topic. They've earned the right to be at the table and say, hey, hey, this is what I'm seeing. This is this is what this is about. I'm very excited about today. I think when we envisioned this, there was a couple of specific shows I really wanted to do long before we even began this segment of Conspiracy Conversations. The word conspiracy theory all started around one day, one event. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was a label created by the government to take your eyes off of the truth and uh, begin this process of controlling information, and when something's happening here, make you look over there. And when when you're when you want to know what really happened, you can talk to a friend of a friend of a friend. It's always better if you can talk to somebody that was there, somebody that's been in the room, somebody that's maybe even had a, had a martini with one of the characters, you know, in, involved. Somebody who's 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 seen what we like to call the Rubik's cube from many directions, and so you don't walk away just thinking Rubik's cubes are green. There also might be. Red and today's guest is just going to take this thing and just shake it all up for you a lot. Um, he's a, he's an author. He's a political strategist. He's been a Republican uh, advisor uh, to many presidents. He's been on multiple, multiple, multiple presidentially planned trips, knows how things are put together, knows the workings behind the scenes of every route that a president would be when he's inside of a city, which gives him unique perspective to be able to break down uh, today's topic. He's written one of the best books you'll ever find. Um, truly a page turner. If you're not a reader, this is still a book that you enjoy. Um, it's called The Man Who Killed Kennedy, The Case Against LBJ. And there is only one person on this planet that can truly cover this topic with the truth and clarity. And I'm honored to have as a guest, Mr. Roger Stone. David, thank you so much for that warm introduction. Uh, you know, this is an endlessly fascinating topic, uh, and therefore I always enjoy talking about it. 
the murder of President John F. Kennedy remains uh, just that, a murder mystery. I can tell you firsthand when the National Enquirer or People Magazine are having a tight month financially and they need to sell more copies to make ends meet, they they put a story about the Kennedy assassination, any aspect of it, on the cover and they will sell you know, 60, 100,000 more copies than they normally do. Well, so it, the, it, it, to your point today, the, the, co- the cover of People magazine right now, the, the secret life of Jackie Kennedy, people cannot get enough of this family, of, of what happened to them. And this this was this was last night. I stopped at a grocery store and this was in the in the aisle. And, and, and we're talking about about a family that the events we're talking about today happened before most people walking through that aisle were born. And we're still so fascinated by it. I think it's just, it's interesting that people cannot get enough of, of this topic. And I, I think it's because they've, they've kind of, it's been hidden. Well, I think it's important that people have the correct uh, perspective on uh, John F. Kennedy, uh, because it's very hard to, to uh, place him uh, if you're only guided by today's political dictates. Uh, John F. Kennedy was an ardent anti-communist. Uh, John F. Kennedy was a tax cutter. Uh, he cut federal taxes across the board. He famously said, a rising tide lifts all boats. John F. Kennedy was insisting to the consternation of the international bankers and the Federal Reserve, a silver-backed dollar. Uh, John F. Kennedy favored a massive defense buildup. He believed uh, in contradiction to President Dwight Eisenhower that America's defense capabilities uh, were not strong enough in 1960. Uh, And of course, he had a deep suspicion of our intelligence agencies. He had been double-crossed and lied to uh, by the Central Intelligence Agency uh, regarding the Bay of Pigs invasion of Cuba and also regarding the Cuban Missile Crisis. Uh, And therefore, he famously said, that he intended to smash the CIA into a million pieces and scatter them to the wind. This, uh, this pledge, of course, is a major factor uh, in his murder. Uh, over time, uh, the mainstream media has sought to bury the truth. The Warren Commission uh, is a cover-up. Uh, J. Edgar Hoover's FBI concluded their investigation into the murder of John Kennedy in seven days. At the end of seven days, Hoover concluded on behalf of the FBI that Lee Harvey Oswald, a lone nut, probably a communist, acting all by himself, had fired three shots all from behind, from the window of the Texas School Book uh, Depository Building, uh, murdering John F. Kennedy. Uh, And then President Lyndon Johnson appointed a uh, commission under the leadership of uh, Chief Justice Earl Warren with instructions that they were to essentially rubber stamp Hoover's investigation and get it over with. The makeup of that committee is very curious. Uh, Earl Warren, the Chief Justice, did not want to serve. Uh, Johnson basically told Warren, we know this from audio tapes of their phone calls, uh, Mr. Chief Justice, look, it was the Russians who did this if the American people ever found out it would mean World War III, you have to serve and help us uh, save the country. In other words, mm-hmm. cover up the truth. Johnson was, of course, lying to Warren. The Russians had no role whatsoever uh, in the murder of President John F. Kennedy. In fact, 
a back-channel dialogue that Kennedy was having with Russian leader Nikita Khrushchev, which he thought was secret, passing letters back and forth, but not through the normal diplomatic channels, because he didn't want the Central Intelligence Agency and the deep state to know, became known to the uh, operators at the CIA and others. Uh, that probably was also a contributing factor in Kennedy's death. My God, peace. We can't have peace. Peace right. is not profitable for it's the not. defense contractors and the spies and others. So um, uh, the other members of the committee, Alan Dulles, the former CIA director who had been cashiered, who'd been, just been fired by John Kennedy, notoriously hated Kennedy. Kennedy uh, knew that he'd been set up in the Bay of Pigs investigation, uh, uh, pardon me, the Bay of Pigs invasion. Right. For those who are too young to know, uh, the Bay of Pigs invasion was uh, an invasion of uh, Fidel Castro's communist Cuba, uh, in which uh, Cuban immigrants, Cuban freedom fighters, were supposed to invade the country, storm the beaches. Uh, uh, the CIA assured JFK there would be a popular uprising of the people of Cuba. We now know that this invasion plan was hatched under President Dwight Eisenhower, uh, a working group chaired by Vice President Richard Nixon. Uh, but the original plan called for the men who were storming the beaches to have air cover from 29 Panamanian flagged bombers that were supposed to be uh, flown by Cuban pilots. Uh, JFK greenlighted this, this invasion solely on the condition that it be made to appear like an indigenous Cuban uprising without or, 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 or organic, organic on its own without exactly without, without the fingerprints of the U S government. And uh, uh, what, what, was not known until fairly recently is the 29 bombers were canceled uh, by Earl, pardon me, by Charles Cable, the number two man uh, in the CIA, 24 hours before the invasion. Uh, he happens just coincidentally to be the brother of Earl Cable, the mayor of Dallas, who's involved in the planning of driving JFK uh, through Dealey Plaza. Uh, and the point, of course, was that when the men on the beach were being cut to ribbons by the Cuban army sharpshooters, their entire plan had leaked. Castro knew they were coming and knew exactly when and where they were coming. Uh, the head of the Joint Chiefs, Curtis LeMay, went to JFK and said, the only way we can save this is by sending in the U.S. Air Force. LeMay and the Joint Chiefs knew that that would spark a larger confrontation with the Russians, who were the patrons of the communist Cuban government, uh, getting them what they wanted, World mm. War III. Kennedy said no. He refused to say, send in uh, the Air Force. Of course, the whole thing was a fiasco. To his credit, John Kennedy went on national television and took credit for the errors, even though they were not mistakes made by him. He also mm. deeply distrusted the intelligence agencies, particularly the CIA, because he had no warning about the Cuban Missile Crisis. Again, for those who don't know about the Cuban Missile Crisis, there's a movie called 13 Days. Don't bother watching it. It's a total propaganda piece that, that hides the truth. JFK and his brother, Robert Kennedy, who was his attorney general and closest advisor, were shocked to learn uh, one morning that the Russians had mounted uh, intercontinental ballistic missiles uh, in Cuba pointed at the United States. Mm -hmm. There was no 
advanced intelligence to tell us about this, David. Uh, and they were shocked. Uh, the country was inching this close to World War III. Now, the 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 Camelot uh, PR operation would tell you that Jack and Bobby Kennedy boldly faced Khrushchev down, and he meekly decided and agreed to remove the missiles from Cuba. The problem with all of that is it's a lie. They cut a secret backroom deal. We removed our missiles from Turkey and Italy in return for a pledge by Khrushchev to remove the missiles from Cuba. Mm. Uh, that agreement never included any on-site inspections. And to this day, we don't know that those missiles are not still there, although they would be somewhat antiquated. This explains, I think, John Kennedy's deep distrust of the CIA uh, and their deep distrust of him. There is one other factor here that is shocking but has to be addressed. The Central Intelligence Agency, the FBI, and the Secret Service were all aware of the fact that John Kennedy had developed an addiction to methamphetamine. John Kennedy, who was a, a heroic war hero, uh, whose PT boat had been cut in half uh, in World War II, who had swamps, who had uh, swam uh, with a rope in his teeth, dragging a wounded cogley through the water for hours. I mean, a true war hero uh, was in constant horrific pain from the back injuries he sustained uh, in World War II. He began uh, treatments with Dr. Uh, Max, uh, I think it was uh, Max, uh, Dr. Feelgood was his common name, uh, who was uh, a celebrity doctor. Uh, who was treating uh, Frank Sinatra, uh, Aristotle Onassis, uh, Nelson Rockefeller, uh, uh, Pablo Casals, uh, uh, Maria Calais, all the beautiful people of the, of the 1960s. Uh, and they were all being told uh, that they were being given a proprietary blend uh, of uh, natural enzymes and vitamins, when in fact they were being given injections of methamphetamine. This explains why JFK was so randy, why he was chasing 18-year-old uh, interns, uh, why he had a string of affairs. Uh, this is uh, the story uh, right there. That book is still on the market. So uh, this, of course, was used as a rationalization uh, uh, for the murder of Kennedy. My God, the man is a drug addict. Uh, when he's high, he could give away the store to Khrushchev. It's our patriotic duty to remove him. And the only way he could be removed um, was through assassination because he was so popular. So, Roger, I love you, you beginning this way because um, a lot of people, I would say, you know, my age in their 50s or, or, or below, you kind of have always just received this this image of he's just such a beloved character. And, and he's looked at as this martyr that died in his prime. And so he's never aged. He was always that same, same guy. And what, what I got from your book, which is shocking is how many people would have benefited from him being gone. And the thing I love most about your book is you, you went into this and the book's available at the stonezone.com as well as some other, other resources, other books are just phenomenal, but this one is what, just just a, one of the best books, truly, people can get anywhere. TheStoneZone.com, you can get it. But, um, and again, New York Times bestseller, USA Today bestseller, Amazon bestseller. This is an incredible, incredible piece. But you did it from almost the mindset of, 
uh, as like a, like a crime scene investigator, you know, which first and foremost establishes motive. I didn't know going into this, how many characters had a motive. There was a long laundry list, probably and partly because he, he was doing a lot of great things. You mentioned the silverback dollar and so, you know, wanted peace. Those aren't, those aren't things the administrative state liked then they didn't like them when president Trump got us out of wars and wanted to secure our currency and these things. So it, it was interesting for me and probably a lot of listeners, they probably don't know how many people surrounding him other than his brother. It's probably nobody he could have trusted. Well, uh, the doctor's name, by the way, is Max Jacobson, known as Dr. Feelgood. Um, he can be found on the official manifest when Kennedy went to the uh, summit with Nikita Khrushchev in Vienna. Uh, he injected John Kennedy uh, several times on that trip. Uh, Robert Kennedy became so concerned about his brother's addiction that he got some of whatever it was they were injecting JFK with, sent it to an FBI lab. They came back and told him what it really was. He famously went to his brother and says, you got to stop doing this. This stuff will kill you. And John Kennedy said, look, I'm in constant pain. It makes me feel good. I don't care if it's horse piss. He said, I'm going to continue to take it. Uh, again, right. all of this is heavily documented. Interestingly enough, at the Vienna summit, Khrushchev left Kennedy waiting for 48 hours. He kept putting off the beginning of the discussions. Uh, obviously, the injections would wear off and Jacobson had to re-inject the president. At a certain point, he required the president to sign a release uh, that if the president died or had a negative reaction to the injections, Jacobson would be held harmless. Um, that is all wow. documented in that book, uh, Dr. Feelgood. But what you say is absolutely true. So the JFK uh, investigative uh, community uh, is... Uh, you know, is very divided and extraordinarily, uh, I would say, uh, competitive. Uh, and therefore, there are people out there who disagree with a number of the aspects of my book. I think the, the problem is that if you are an authority on organized crime, then you only see the assassination of Kennedy through that lens. Right. If you're an authority on the Central Intelligence Agency and the intelligence agencies, the FBI, the CIA, to a certain extent, the Secret Service – then you only can view the Kennedy assassination through that lens. Uh, if you're familiar with the fact that John Kennedy wanted to cancel the oil depletion allowance, a tax loophole that saved Texas oil millionaires hundreds of millions of dollars, then you only see the assassination through that lens. If you're an authority on Lyndon Baines Johnson, uh, then you only see the uh, the assassination through that lens. What I've tried to do is recognize that at the end of the day, John F. Kennedy was murdered in a plot that included Vice President Lyndon Johnson, the man with the most to gain, cui bono, who benefits, as they say in Latin. Uh, it also involved uh, the Central Intelligence Agency for the reasons I've already stated. Organized crime is definitely involved. That's because Ambassador Joseph P. Kennedy, John Kennedy's father, who had served as ambassador to the UK under Franklin Roosevelt, uh, was also partners uh, with the notorious New York gangster Frank Costello. They were in the bootlegging business. They controlled all illegal alcohol in the 20s uh, from New York State all the way up to the Canadian border, all of New England. Uh, they brought in Canadian blended whiskey. Uh, you did not want to get in their way. It was their franchise. But uh, 
Ambassador Kennedy, through his connections with Costello, was able to call together a meeting of all the top organized crime families. Now, and you're, you're talking about Joe Kennedy. Joe the, Kennedy. The, the father. The father. Uh, they Make met sure in Chicago. The meeting was chaired by Sam Giancana, who was the head of the mob in Chicago. He got to chair it because it was hosted there. Uh, all the heads of the families were there, the Gambinos, the Bonanos, uh, and so on. Uh, Mickey Cohen, who ran the mob in Los Angeles, was there. Camel Hump wow. Humphreys, who ran the mob in Las Vegas, was there. Carlos uh, Marcello, who controlled the mob in Texas and Louisiana, was there. Santo Traficante Sr., who controlled uh, the mob in Florida, was there. Every family was represented. Uh, and Joe Kennedy was uh, very brash. He said, my son is going to be president. Uh, and I'm not leaving here without $1 million. Well, in 1959, which is when this meeting took place, a uh, $1 million was a huge amount of money. Immediately, uh, Mickey Cohn, the guy who ran the mob in L.A., uh, and Camel Humphreys, who ran the mob in Las Vegas, both of them notoriously vicious gangsters, uh, bolted the meeting. They said, look, we own Dick Nixon. We've been financing him since his congressional days. He's going to win. We want no part of this. They left the meeting. Giancana made a deal uh, with Ambassador Kennedy uh, that in return for the million dollars, which they gave him, uh, that the Eisenhower administration's Department of Justice efforts to deport Carlos Marcello uh, and Santo Traficante, also vicious gangsters, uh, would be dropped. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, after JFK's election, Robert Kennedy became attorney general. Uh, and then he went after Marcello particularly, but also Traficante uh, to try to deport them, it, continuing the efforts of the Eisenhower administration. I want to make sure, Gee, I, I, was uh, sure I, I, make sure I, I grabbed this part right here because you know, throwing these names out, I'll make sure people grab this flow. So, so Joe Kennedy had a stranglehold kind of on these relationships. And he was speaking on behalf of the family, which I think it's clear. Like he probably make a whole movie about his life. He was pretty clear. He wanted everything he did was for his sons to gain powder power. And there was a, there was an idea for them to have the presidency probably his whole, you know, JFK's whole life. So, so he makes a backroom deal to gain the trust and the allegiance of Chicago, specifically Sam Giacana, I say this correctly. So basically, Joe Kennedy made a deal with the mob, with all, every family, uh, not only to extort them for a million dollars for the campaign, but also to break arms and legs for them in Chicago on Election Day, uh, to burn ballots for them in Dallas County on Election Day. Uh, actually, their involvement in the West Virginia primary, uh, which was pivotal in John Kennedy's nomination. So the mob... Uh, had a deal with John Kennedy in return for helping elect him. Uh, the Kennedy Justice Department was supposed to drop the deportation proceedings against Carlos Marcello, who ran the mob again in Louisiana and Texas, and who, by the way, had Lyndon Johnson on the payroll uh, because Johnson was protecting uh, Marcello's illegal gambling dens okay. in San Antonio and Houston and Dallas, uh, but also to drop the proceedings against Santo Traficante. After John Kennedy's election, 
Robert Kennedy was appointed attorney general, uh, and he went after Marcelo and Traficante specifically, actually, when when Marcelo showed up, as he was required to do at the immigration offices where he had to check in once a week, he was seized by immigration efforts. They flew him uh, to Guatemala and they dumped him uh, in a jungle because that was what he claimed to be his country of, of uh, national origin uh, or where he claimed to be. And, and, the, and Joe, did, did he pass away like at 61 or when did the well, father? It becomes, more, it becomes more complicated than that. So Giancana the boss of the Chicago mob went back okay. to Joe Kennedy and said, Hey, we had a deal. Right. We're going to deliver for you. We delivered. Now you're, you're still leaning on Carlos and Santo and John and Joe Kennedy said, well, unfortunately the deal has now changed. Uh, I want a 50% interest in the Calneva casino in Reno, Nevada signed over to me. It was a mob controlled casino, a mob owned casino. Uh, and once I have that, I'll call off the dogs on your gangster buddies. Uh, actually, what he says on those two guineas is what he said. Okay. Uh, and uh, Gene Connor was so anxious to get the heat off of his mob colleagues that they actually transferred a 50% interest to Joe Kennedy, although he held it in the name of Morton Downey Sr., who was a very famous Irish tenor. It's kind of the court jester. He, he hung out with Joe. He 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 cheered Joe up by singing "Danny Boy," reportedly would bring tears to Ambassador Joe Kennedy's eyes. Wow. He was a sentimental Irishman, uh, and uh, but fortunately, unfortunately, shortly thereafter, Joe Kennedy was hit by a debilitating stroke. Uh, he was never able to uh, enforce the deal he'd made with the mob, and Robert Kennedy did not relent in his efforts to go after these gangsters. I've just explained the, the, the motive of the mob's involvement in the murder of John F. Kennedy. You had the international banks that we've talked to about. Uh, Kennedy yeah. was insisting on a silver-baked dollar. I think they supplied the money to, uh, to uh, fund the murder of John F. Kennedy. Big Texas Oil, I've explained their motive, uh, the repeal of the oil depletion allowance. So all of these powerful entities, the intelligence agencies, uh, including the Secret Service, the the mob, Big Tex Texas Oil, and the international banks. Everybody has their own separate interest in the removal of John F. Kennedy. But nobody has a greater interest than Vice President Lyndon Johnson. Johnson had forced his way on the ticket with Kennedy. Kennedy had actually decided to appoint Senator Stewart Symington from Missouri Simonton was in his hotel room writing his acceptance speech when Lyndon Johnson and House Speaker Sam Rayburn, a Texan, uh, asked for a meeting in John F. Kennedy's uh, hotel suite in Los Angeles shortly after he was nominated, and they specifically did not want Robert Kennedy present. John mm. Kennedy met with them, and when they showed up, Johnson had a brown envelope with him, and out of it, he pulled a photograph of JFK in bed with a notorious East German spy and prostitute uh, whose name was Inga. Uh, thoughtfully, J. Edgar Hoover, Johnson's next door neighbor uh, and close confidant, who knew that he would hit the mandatory retirement age in 1964 and therefore had his own reasons for getting rid of John Kennedy, had thoughtfully supplied the photographs. And Johnson essentially blackmailed Kennedy. He said, either you put me on the ticket 
uh, or these photographs will be sent over to Richard Nixon to surface in the general election campaign. John Kennedy reluctantly took Lyndon Johnson as his running mate. Johnson also promised that he would steal enough votes to deliver Texas. And, and as we now know, he did. Johnson um, was a murderer. He killed at least 15 men prior to the murder of John F. Kennedy to cover up election uh, fraud, vote stealing, uh, epic, epic corruption. Uh, but on November 22nd, 1963, Johnson was the principal focus of two very big scandals uh, and corruption investigations. One of them, uh, the Billy Sol Estes uh, investigation. Billy Sol Estes was a flamboyant Texas wheeler dealer. Johnson had delivered massive multi-million dollar agricultural contracts uh, for to lease fertilizer tanks that never actually existed. Uh, Billy Solestis was kicking back to Johnson millions of dollars. And then there was the Bobby Baker scandal. Baker. Yeah, that's, this is big. Okay, listeners, grab this one. This is a part of it. This is a guy that I didn't know of. Hey, before we jump into Bobby Baker, can you elaborate one smidge more? Again, you guys got to get the books. There's so much more to these relationships. But Hoover, his connection to Johnson is 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 a lot tighter than you even alluded to. I mean, I think, did you say they were next door neighbors? And from, door fifth, neighbors, the, from the 51 John to 61, his budget, his budget like tripled under Johnson being the House correct. Majority Leader? So if you if you look at each of the entities that is involved in the murder of Johnson, they have all one thing in common, Lyndon Johnson. So when Johnson is the Senate Majority Leader through the 50s, traditionally the Senate Majority Leader does not serve on any committee. Uh, but in this case, Johnson appointed himself to the subcommittee of defense appropriations where the CIA and the FBI black box budgets are prepared. Johnson is the paymaster of the CIA throughout the 50s. He triples Hoover's budget. He triples the CIA's budget. So his relationship with them is unique. Hoover lived next door to Johnson in one of the tonier sections of, uh, of uh, Washington, D.C., Johnson's daughters refused, referred to J. Edgar Hoover as Uncle Edgar. Uh, I believe <laughs> there is evidence that Hoover flew to Dallas for a meeting, a final meeting, the night before the assassination, in which the final touches were put on the plan. Uh, it's documented in my book, The Man Who Picked Him Up at a Grass Strip Airport, drove him to the home of Clint Murchison, where he participated in a meeting, and drove him back to the airport where a, private, where a government plane returned Hoover to Washington. Uh, that's pretty thoroughly documented. Uh, some of the household help uh, in Murchison's home have testified uh, that they saw Hoover, among others, at this late night meeting at the home of oil baron Clint Murchison. Hoover hated the Kennedys uh, because he knew in 1964, uh, Attorney General Robert Kennedy, to whom he reported, was planning to replace him as Hoover reached the mandatory age for Fed retirement, only could be waived by the President of the United States. It's a perfect storm. Uh, and Hoover, by the way, Hoover was insisted, for example, that Martin Luther King was a communist. The Kennedy brothers didn't believe that. Uh, but Robert Kennedy signed off on the wiretaps that Martin Luther King uh, was uh, subjected to by J. Edgar Hoover's FBI, mm. something that uh, is uh, today a little hard for the Kennedy family to explain. 
so who, when I, when I use a, use a quote of yours in the book, uh, Johnson, was it a powerful position? If you think, why would you give up that position? You, you said in the book, he says, Hey, one in four vice presidents become president. I'm a, I'm a gambling man. And I like those odds. So, yeah, so when he's asked at the convention, why you would give up the job of Senate majority leader, which is that's a the top job by just some journalist. He says, well, four out of 10 vice presidents become vice president. I'm a gambling man. I like those odds. But more importantly, on inaugural day, 1963, uh, Bobby Baker, his Johnson's right hand man, uh, is standing next to Ted Sorensen, who was the top speechwriter uh, for John F. Kennedy. And uh, Kennedy was sworn in. Uh, and then Vice President Johnson was sworn in. Uh, and Sorensen turns to Baker and he says, well, Bobby, congratulations. And Bobby Baker says, John F. Kennedy will die a brutal and premature death. And he storms away. Uh, we know that Lyndon Johnson uh, stole the Secret Service operations manual uh, early in the Kennedy presidency, took it to Texas. So planning for the murder of John F. Kennedy could begin. Bobby Baker, as the Senate, Senate president, had uh, supplied a number of prostitutes, both men and women, for various members of Congress. Uh, among those that Baker supplied uh, girls for uh, was Congressman Gerald Ford. Now, Lyndon Johnson ran a honey trap at what was then the Sheraton Carlton Hotel, has a different name today. But this hotel suite uh, had a two-way mirror with a camera behind it. Uh, and Johnson thoughtfully made this space available to his colleagues who wanted to have a little playtime with either men or women that Baker supplied. Uh, and he had many senators uh, and Congressman Gerald Ford, later president, on videotape during their sexual romps, which is why he was always able to muster a majority for any vote he needed in the Senate. Among those that he had on tape, as I say, were Congressman Gerald Ford. And here's the kicker. Who does he video Ford with? Why, it's the East German spy Inga, the same woman who had an affair with JFK. How coincidental. Two presidents of the United States had been there, as they say. Man. Okay, so Bobby Baker, that wasn't a character that I was really familiar with. But this kind of a, this idea of a connection between a leader that's elected, but their connections to the administrative state around them and gaining that leverage. I mean, what I love about this book is, again, you put all the, the skin and color and character on these these people. And it's if you think these things are shocking you guys, get the book because it unraveled these relationships, these connections in great detail. But it helps the current predicament we're in now as a nation. If you want to understand the current situation, look at history because it tends to repeat itself. It's just gotten deeper and more inter inter intertwined. But the idea of an elected official gaining connections to the administrative state around them who's not elected and, and leveraging them with blackmail, bribes, you know, all these things. Like this is not this is not new stuff. It's all detailed here, and that's what happened there. I just didn't, couldn't have imagined all of the characters around Kennedy that had so many motives and how LBJ was the one tied to all of them. Well, let's go back to the Warren Commission for a second. Um, the Republican minority leader, Gerald Ford, is appointed to the Warren Commission. Uh, but they're having real problems because 
the autopsy diagrams that have been signed off by John F. Kennedy's doctor, Admiral Burke, a Navy doctor, uh, showed that Kennedy had a wound in his upper back, which does not explain how uh, the number of bullets uh, and the uh, and the wound to his throat. So Gerald Ford, we now know why Johnson had tape of him that was videotape of him or film at the time. It was very embarrassing. Gerald Ford actually, with a pencil, changes the diagram, moving the location of the wound in Kennedy's upper back to the back of his neck to comport with Hoover's claim, uh, rubber stamped by the Warren Commission, that John F. Kennedy was shot by three shots, all coming from the back, uh, all of them allegedly fired by Lee Harvey Oswald. Oswald was a Marine Corps veteran, but he had the lowest possible rating as a marksman. Uh, no government marksman, no Marine, no Army marksman, no one from the government was ever able to duplicate the three shots uh, in the necessary time sequence. We know the sequence and timing of the shots simply because uh, a Dallas motorcycle police officer had inadvertently left the microphone on in his radio, and therefore you can hear a recording of all three shots. So you know the exact time sequence. Even Jesse Ventura took a rifle to the Texas School Book Depository building and tried to duplicate the three shots. No one has able, been ever been able to do so. That's because John F. Kennedy was shot by multiple shooters. It wasn't Lee Harvey Oswald, first of all. The man who I believe is, he was at least one of the shooter, but the man shooting from the sixth floor of the Texas School Book Depository building is Malcolm Mac Wallace. How do we know that? First of all, six people uh, six eyewitnesses identify Wallace as the man they see standing in the window. They say he's wearing glasses, uh, that he is a uh, middle-aged, heavy set. They said he was wearing uh, tan pants and a light-colored jacket. Uh, two of these guys are, two of the witnesses are in a jail directly across from the, uh, the prison facility, directly across from the Texas School Book Depository building. The other three are on the, the ground. But there are six eyewitnesses who see a man in the window of the sixth floor. We also know that Wallace left his fingerprints on the cardboard boxes uh, that are that are placed uh, like a crow's nest uh, in front of the window at the Texas School Book Depository building. We know that they are Wallace's fingerprints because in 1951, Wallace was convicted of first degree murder where he killed a man who was in a love triangle with Lyndon Johnson's bohemian wayward sister. Uh, and this man, uh, Douglas Kinzer, I think was his name, was uh, trying to blackmail Johnson. John based, Douglas Kinzer. Yes, based on information that Johnson's sister had told him. By the way, Johnson's sister would talk too much, and she too would die under mysterious circumstances. I count her death as one of those racked up to uh, Lyndon Johnson. She kept telling inconvenient truths. So um, Wallace uh, is certainly the shooter. There are more than one shooters. 13 doctors and nurses say that when John Kennedy is taken to Parkland Hospital, there is a blowout wound in the back of his head about the size of a grapefruit. But strangely, uh, David, by the time Kennedy's body gets to the Bethesda Medical Center, where the autopsy was conducted uh, under the supervision of members of the Joint Chiefs who are present, that wound has been completely patched. That wound is not reported. Uh, 
it, what it means, of course, is mm. that Kennedy was shot from both the front and the back. Now, interestingly, Dan Rather, who became a big shot at CBS News, was the only journalist who was ever shown the famous Abraham Zapruder film. Zapruder was just an amateur photographer. He came out to see Lyndon Johnson, had a relatively antiquated, by today's standard, movie camera. Uh, he actually took a video of the murder of Kennedy. The government immediately seized his camera, never gave it back to him, uh, and the film in it. The only man who ever saw it for 50 years was Dan Rather, uh, who saw it before the government took it. They ultimately sold it to Time Life for $50,000. And Time Life locked it away for 50 years. Why did Dan Rather say that Kennedy was shot from behind and his head snapped sharply forward? Well, now we've seen the Zapruder film and we know that that's not what happened at all. Right. His, 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 he is shot from the front. His head snaps back and to the left, back and to the left. If you're shot from behind, your, name, your head would not snap backwards. It would snap, pardon me, if you were shot right. from behind, your head would snap forward. He was shot from the front. They needed to conceal that because Lee Harvey Oswald and the sixth floor depository building were always behind Kennedy. Kennedy was in a crossfire. He, he was in what, what Johnson called a turkey shoot. I think that there are at least two shooters, but more likely four. Let's see. Malcolm Mac Wallace uh, shooting from the sixth floor. Lee Harvey Oswald uh, when he is apprehended and he's brought out in public, what does he say? I'm a patsy, he says. I didn't shoot anybody. Indeed, the records show that there are no powder burns, no nitrate on Wallace's chest or his arms or his hands. So if he had shot a leaky $29 Carcano Italian war carbine, he would have been covered uh, in nitrate, but there was no nitrate on him. That's because he didn't shoot anybody. Yeah, he Oswald. also was seen in the cafeteria at the Texas School Book Depository Building literally two minutes after Kennedy had been shot the first time. So the government wants us to believe that Lee Harvey Oswald had time to get off three shots, kill John Kennedy, hide the rifle, uh, and then run down four flights of stairs because the electricity in the building miraculously happened to be turned off and the elevators were not operating. The problem with that is a woman named Victoria Ford was on the staircase between the sixth uh, and second floors, uh, and she neither saw, but more importantly, in a wooden staircase, she did not hear Lee Harvey Oswald. That's because he was not on the sixth floor. Also, by the way, this is an unanswered anomaly. There's a famous picture of a Texas uh, a Dallas police officer holding up a rifle that he had, that had been found inside the Texas School Book Depository Building. It's a precision German Mauser. That's the gun John F. Kennedy was shot with. Um, that rifle just completely disappears. The officer who said he found it miraculously dies in an accident shortly after the Kennedy assassination. Um, Gordon Arnold. Um Try to get get his because that was an interesting uh, component of it. Because he's another person that was uh, a soldier on leave, and he was filming from Grassy Knoll, expert on live ammunition, and he was never asked to testify by the Warren Commission. And uh, CIA officers apparently showed up at his home and confiscated 
the film that he had, and there was never any record that any CIA officers were ever sent there. So it was obviously some kind of black ops, you know, thing covering that. So there's also a man uh, who, from a railroad tower, worked for the railroad, says that behind the grassy knoll there is a fence that he saw a man drive up in a green Plymouth Plymouth station wagon with a Goldwater for President bumper sticker on it, by the way, (laughs) Uh, take out a rifle bag, remove a rifle, go to the fence, shoot. He saw a puff of smoke, uh, put the rifle back in the bag and drive away. This man was also never interviewed by the Warren Commission. Uh, there, uh, there's also uh, a motorcycle police officer. I think his name was Roger Craig, uh, who uh, when people immediately after the shooting, many people were pointing to the grassy knoll. Many people said the shot came from over there, came from over there. He uh, tries to take the mi- motorcycle up on the grassy knoll. He's stopped by a man who flashes a Secret Service badge and says this is a sealed area. So Craig retreats. That man was Bernard Barker. How coincidental. A few years later, he would be caught breaking into the Watergate complex on behalf of Richard Nixon's re-election campaign. In fact, uh, there are two interesting statistics. Uh, One is that uh, four of the Watergate burglars just totally coincidentally, David, happened to be on the ground in Dealey Plaza uh, the day John F. Kennedy was murdered. All four of them with undisputable connections to the Central Intelligence Agency. But there's another statistic. There were four presidents in Dallas that day. Obviously, JFK was there. Obviously, Lyndon Johnson was there. He was riding in a limousine several car lengths behind JFK. When the shooting starts, just before the shooting starts, Johnson hits the deck on the floor uh, in his limo. We know this from from clips uh, of the uh, video footage. You can see the stills. Uh, in one picture, uh, Johnson is riding with Lady Bird Johnson yep. and Texas Senator Ralph Yarborough, who Johnson hated. Uh, and then in the next still, you see Johnson is missing. That's because he's he, on the floor. He's down below his wife. And he's yes. a he big, tall down. guy, and he disappears in the car. He also has a small some kind of radio device, uh, presumably a walkie-talkie. By the way, all of this is in the oral history recorded by Senator Yarborough. Uh, it's really not disputable. But uh, you have four presidents present in Dallas. Number one, uh, there is uh, JFK, obviously. Number two, uh, LBJ. Uh, But George Bush uh, was in town. How coincidental. For 40 years, George H.W. Bush insisted that he couldn't remember where he was the day Kennedy was killed. For anybody who was old enough to remember the Kennedy assassination, that's ridiculous. Everybody remembers. I remember. I was in the second grade. I remember when the teacher came in and announced that the president had been shot and turned on a television set. I remember kids crying. I remember parents bringing their kids home because kids were in tears. Parents were in tears. It was a horrific moment for every American, regardless of their politics. And then, uh, of course, uh, Richard Nixon was in town. How coincidental. Nixon uh, flew in uh, to Dallas the day before specifically to speak to a board meeting of the Pepsi-Cola company, which was having a bottler's convention. Uh, And he actually left town. His commercial flight was leaving the Dallas airport uh, when Air Force One was landing. That had to be a very surreal moment. That had to be one of those there, but for the grace of God, go I moments when he saw his rival, John Kennedy, arriving. John Kennedy, pardon me, Nixon had a press conference 
the atmosphere uh, in Dallas was so hateful towards JFK because he was viewed as being soft on communism that vi- former Vice President Nixon held a press conference urging Dallas citizens to give the president a respectful and peaceful reception. Uh, and uh, it, it is not until Nixon arrives back in New York. Remember, there are no cell phones in these days. Uh, he lands at what was then Idlewild Airport, later renamed for John Kennedy. Uh, and uh, wow. his taxi cab on his way into Manhattan takes a wrong turn. Uh, they get stopped at a stoplight and he sees a, a fat woman, uh, a black woman, he says, crying on the street corner. He rolls down the window. Must you imagine how that blew her mind? And he said, <laughs> Madam, what's wrong? And she says, they've shot the president. They've killed the president. Nixon orders the cab driver to turn on the radio and he gets the first report that Kennedy has been shot, but not a definitive report that he has yet been declared dead. It is only when Nixon reaches uh, his apartment in Manhattan, the doorman says, it's so horrible, Mr. Vice President. They've killed the president. He goes to his apartment. He calls J. Edgar Hoover, who, of course, he gets on the line immediately. And he said and he says to Hoover, uh, Edgar, was it one of those right wing nuts? And Hoover says, no, Dick, it was a communist. Well, how is that possible for him to know? Lee Harvey Oswald had not yet been apprehended. Wow. There's a quote that you had and you're, you obviously your, your relationship with, with president Nixon is, you know, uh, well documented and, and you have you know, a very inside look in that relationship, but he's, you, you quoted him as saying Johnson and I mean, I'll, I'll mess this up, but basically Johnson and I both wanted the presidency. The difference is I wasn't willing to kill for it or something, something of that nature. Am I mess, messing that up? Nixon was a very buttoned down and private individual. It was very, very hard to get him talk to talk retrospectively. Uh, he had lived through tumultuous times, but he was very forward-looking. He was very focused on the future. Uh, and when you would say, well, you know, what was Eisenhower really like? Well, what about Joe McCarthy? What was it like uh, when you, you know, when you were attacked by a communist mob in Venezuela as vice president? Or what was the Nixon-Kennedy debate? Like, he didn't want to talk about the past until he had a few cocktails. Okay. Uh, when, he had a, when he had a silver bullet, uh, what, he, what he called a martini, by the way, his recipe is in my book, Stone's Rules, his personal recipe, handed down from Winston Churchill to Richard Nixon to Roger Stone. You might want to check that martini recipe out. Uh, he would become loquacious. And I knew that that's when his tongue got looser. Uh, and he loved to talk politics. I spent many hours talking politics with wow. former President Nixon. Uh, and I said to him one day, so let me ask you, Mr. President, who really killed John Kennedy? He, he, you could see him physically shudder. He looked into his drink for a moment and he said, Dallas. I said, I'm, I'm sorry, sir. I, I don't understand. Uh, he said, uh, let me put it to this way. Lyndon Johnson and I both wanted to be president, but I wasn't willing to kill for it. And that Man. was really that was really the end of the conversation. Now, we do know. Uh, that like many Americans, uh, he was riveted to his television to see what would happen. He saw uh, Lee Harvey Oswald being brought out of jail, being trotted out in public, which is really odd in itself. Uh, And he also saw Jack Ruby, uh, who was a mob uh, uh, club owner, 
uh, had worked in Cuba, uh, running a casino for Carlos Marcelo, uh, ran the Carousel Club, a bar, which was really owned by Carlos Marcelo, uh, uh, a pimp. Uh, Ruby was a pimp who supplied uh, girls for uh, various police officers. It's interesting that the Carousel Club, although it was a mob out, uh, a mob front, had many Dallas police officers. In fact, several of the Secret Service detail for JFK uh, got drunk there the night before his murder. Uh, but hmm. when Nixon saw Ruby step out of the crowd and shoot Lee Harvey Oswald, he jumps up and says to Nick Ruey, his traveling aide, I know that man. That's that's Rubenstein. I know him. Turns out that Jack Ruby, whose real name was Jack Rubenstein, had been on the payroll of the U.S. House of Representatives when Nixon was in Congress. The backstory here is that Nixon had some leftover staff money when he was in the House. Congressman Lyndon Johnson came to him and said, hey, Dick, you've got a little staff money on the committee there. I have an informant I think might be valuable for the House on american Activities Committee. His name is Jack Rubenstein. Would you mind putting him on the payroll? And Nixon did put him on the payroll. Nixon immediately recognized him from television pictures of him uh, as Jack Rubenstein. Uh, I rep reproduce those records in my book. Uh, so it makes the connection between Lyndon Johnson and the man who shot Lee Harvey Oswald. Don't you find it curious that the man who was accused of killing Kennedy never got to trial. Uh, he, he was murdered by a man with undeniable mob connections. Now read the Warren Commission. They said that Jack Ruby had no known connections to organized crime, which is just a, 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 an obvious lie. Um, you, 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 uh, when, when talking ab about that, Nixon referred to Ruby as Johnson's guy. I mean, like even it's like so like a lot of characters knew more about this than was ever put together and put in Warren Commission that was ever brought brought to light. Well, and you have a lot of uh, what today they would call circumstantial evidence. By the way, I wore this hat. It's an exact replica of the hat Jack Ruby was wearing when he shot Lee Harvey Oswald. It's one of the reasons I wore it today, also because I'm having a bad hair day. But putting <laughs> That aside is we know, for example, that the FBI puts out a telex to every uh, bureau in the in the states saying that Lee Harvey Oswald has been apprehended for the murder of John F. Kennedy. The problem is their timing is off and it goes out before Lee Harvey Oswald has been arrested. We also know uh, that uh, Lyndon Johnson, now president of the United States, uh, is in the elevator uh, with John F. Kennedy's deputy press secretary, Malcolm Kilduff. Uh, and Kilduff is distraught because his boss has just been murdered. And he says, M Mr. President, who would do such a horrible thing? Who would do this thing? And Johnson says to him, it was a communist, son. And Kilduff says, well, what kind of communist? And Johnson says, it was a Russian communist, son. Well, how could Johnson know that? Lee Harvey Oswald had not yet been arrested. So everybody is kind of in on this joke. Uh, but those are two more pieces the, of substantial evidence. The, the outcome was kind of known in advance. Talk, yeah, talk about the, exactly what he says he is. He is a patsy. He is set up to take the fall, and, and he did.
there's recordings of him giving his testimony when he was first taken into custody. They didn't have the technology then, but later they had the ability to analyze and could tell, I think, stress test results of probability of if you're telling the truth or not. Well, it's also, I think, notable that, uh, that, um, that, that, uh, Oswald not only has no powder burns, uh, but he's been maneuvered in place uh, to take uh, the fall uh, in this uh, entire matter. Uh, Johnson is, you know, has duped a number of members to serve on the Warren Commission uh, to try to quickly operate a, a cover-up. Uh, he tells various people uh, that the Russians were behind this and that if the truth were to be exposed, it would lead us to World War III. Um, that is, of course, uh, all uh, an incredible lie. Um, this remains the most enduring murder mystery uh, in uh, American history. People do need to get this book, uh, The Man yes. Who Killed Kennedy, The Case Against LBJ. Um, I, it's very thoroughly documented. You see how much, uh, oh. how many footnotes this has and endnotes it has. Um, I, I very famously had a debate uh, with Gerald Posner, who wrote the book Case Closed, in which he tries to bolster uh, the claim of the Warren Commission. Posner's a very smart guy. He's a very skilled lawyer. I'm not an attorney. I think I won that debate. He would probably disagree with that. By the way, I like him very much. He's very smart. He's written some great books that I agree with. But on this one, his conclusion is completely laughable, just laughable. Well, I encourage you, if, if uh, you're at all a student of history, if you have a curious mind, if, if you want to shift from somebody who I, 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 I'm just thrilled. I mean, literally, I had 14 pages of notes that I took going through this and preparing with this, and we didn't even get into, you know, all the details. But there's, there's, a, there's a whole section. You guys need to get this book because there's a section of uh, uh, John Douglas Kinzer at a golf course with, with this uh, uh, Malcolm uh, character, uh, Wallace, that is just, you're like, that alone could be a scene from the movie 20 show 24 or something like that. They go on and on. There's so much more that's in this book. You do need to get it to unpack these things. Here's another key point, David. Everybody has seen the famous photograph of Lyndon Johnson on air force one being sworn in as president of the United States. Why did he do that? There's no, there is no ceremony nor no oath necessary. At the moment John Kennedy was declared dead, Lyndon Johnson became president. Johnson, just to twist the knife, calls Attorney General Robert Kennedy and asks to get him the oath. He's twisting the knife. There's no reason uh, for him to do that. He insists that Jackie Kennedy, her dress still bladdered, splattered with her husband's blood. And, of course, there's a famous video of Johnson. You see the man with the bow tie? That is a segregationist congressman from Texas who's a pal of Lyndon Johnson. He and Johnson wink at each other. They say that when uh, Lady Bird Johnson learned that John Kennedy was dead, she was giddy with glee. She, was, by the way, was more vicious than her husband, a hater. Uh, she put up with all of his womanizing. One of the things that's important mm. about this book, it is a personal po a portrait of Johnson. Johnson was a functioning lunatic. Uh, he was a sadist. He was an alcoholic. He was a pill popper. He was a womanizer. He was a notorious uh, uh, liar. Uh, he was uh, epically corrupt. There was no major uh, defense appropriation through the 50s that didn't uh, happen because Lyndon Johnson got a payoff. He was an unbalanced human being. Uh, he famously, when he was president, would take the Sequoia 
the presidential yacht out. He would wear nothing but a bathrobe. Uh, he would watch uh, stag films. Uh, he would get a jar of Vaseline and he would masturbate uh, on the decks of the presidential yacht. Th this guy was a, a maniac. Uh, he was not mentally balanced. By the way, you have to take it from me. Look at the memoirs of his own aides. They were petrified of him. John, yeah. Re uh, George Reedy, his press secretary uh, uh, and others. Uh, this guy was uh, was capable of not only the murder of John F. Kennedy, mm. but as I say, uh, Malcolm Wallace. Funny how he died. He, he got murdered because he knew too much. Johnson uh, ran the most comprehensive cover up in history. Uh, but when people say to you, well, the CIA killed Kennedy, they're not wrong. Others will say organized crime killed Kennedy. They're not wrong. Uh, the shooter on the on the grassy knoll is most likely uh, an imported uh, sharpshooter assassin named Nicoletti. He's a Corsican. He's been flown into Dallas for this reason. Johnny Roselli, another mobster, insisted he also was a shooter. He was in the sewer drain. Later, his body is found floating in an oil drum outside of Miami. Uh, I think there was probably also a shooter in the Dow Tex building. Uh, Dow Tex had many connections to the Bush family. So, again, I think that there are multiple shooters. Kennedy is shot from the front and the back. It's all in my book. Uh, and people, you know, you know how this is, David. Oh, that's, that's ridiculous, uh, Lyndon Johnson. Don't judge my book until you've read right. my book. It, and it is a, it's a thriller. Even if you go into it right away saying, I don't know about this, I disagree with this or that. I encourage you get the book because it brings these characters to life that you you may kind of know you've heard the names and um, again there's it, it, it's more colorful when it's told by somebody who's been in the situations had the conversations with people. I want to do something uh, uh, today on this one. I want to direct people, the listeners, go to RogerStone.substack.com. There's other articles about this that are not even in the book. There's other writings he has about current events, things that are happening that are. Um, Let's just say the, the side or the angle that you're not regularly hearing on the news when new recordings, you know, are released of things, when new footage comes out. Roger does, does, does a commentary on this on his Substack, rogerstone.substack.com. You can go there. You can view it. Uh, articles for free. You can subscribe and get larger amount of access. So encourage you to do that. And then one other thing I want to do today is, is you know, if, if you're familiar with Roger Stone and what, what, what's going on there, most famously attacked by uh, the, what I call the administrative state for speaking the truth. And I'll tell you what, we don't have very many people that have go through what Roger's gone through and then continue to speak the truth and even turn up the volume. And it almost like Andrew Tate kind of way or or someone else that's like encouraging people to like wake up, speak up and show up, which is what this show is is all about. That's the reason why we own our own mics. We say what we want. We're not a part of a network. And this kind of truth telling news is is what's going to bring mental freedom to uh, to our country. So I want to do something. Uh, uh, you can go to MyPillow.com. And uh, that is a sponsor, sponsor of our show. It's a sponsor of Roger's nightly show that he does every every evening on frankspeech.com. But but use promo code STONE in there, and there are specials going on. If you need some sheets, you need some slippers, you need any number of things, go there and do it. If you say, hey, I'm fine, I've got them, then get a set for somebody else. I want to put a tad bit of urgency to this because this is an opportunity for you to be able to say, hey, I want to get behind this kind of work. I want to get behind somebody who... who who had his home raided and CNN was there waiting on the raid to happen. 
That is coordinated effort. The same kind of coordinated effort that was taking place here is taking place today. And uh, uh, we can get behind him by, hey, let's go there. Use promo code STONE on anything that you purchase from there. Or you can go to mystore.com and you can buy coffee or a replacement flag for your house or any gazillion number of things. But there are so many specials that Michael Dell's doing on his site. When you use this promo code, you get massive discounts. You pay a fraction of regular price for things. So replacement house. Guys out there, you want to make your wife happy? It's simpler than you think. You can you know, probably lose 20, 30 pounds and work out a little more, or you can get her some new sheets for the bed and some towels, and uh, you know she'll have some beer goggles for you. Maybe she'll treat you a little nicer this week. You know, Surprise her. Do something good for her. And why is my wife so grumpy all the time? Because she's sleeping on the same sheets you had since you got married. Get her something nice. Uh, and you can use promo code STONE when you do that, and you'll get uh, some massive discounts on that. Um, and again, rogerstone.substack.com. This was so much fun. We could do this an hour a day for the next month and not even cover this entire story. It's so elaborate. Um, guys, again, uh, the man who killed Kennedy, everybody wants to know, hey, who killed Kennedy? I think it's more important who was the puppet master and who's the person connected to every single suspect, every single conspiracy theory out there uh, that, that, that people have. They all, big oil, the banking industry, the mob, everybody, everybody that's pointed there has a connection to, to LBJ. And uh, this book lays it out in a colorful, fun to read kind of way. Roger, do you have any parting comments here before we, before we end? Yes, David, I want to thank you. I think one thing people don't understand is when you are targeted by the deep state, one of the things they do is to break you financially. That makes you, uh, to put pressure on you, in my case, they wanted me to testify falsely against President Trump. In other words, when they couldn't find any evidence of Russian collusion, because there was none, they wanted to manufacture it. They wanted to fabricate it. Mm -hmm. uh, they, they identified that I spoke to candidate Trump on the phone 26 or 29 times in 2016, and they wanted me to testify that those conversations had involved WikiLeaks and the Russians and so on. It was a lie. I refused to do that, um, and I refused to plead guilty, and I refused to cooperate because it was false, uh, and therefore I lost my home, our savings, uh, most of our insurance, my ability to travel because I'm probation, my ability to speak out because I was gagged by a federal judge. Yep. My wife and I went through two and a half years of hell. Uh, we are slowly rebuilding. Uh, my pillow and Mike Lindell have been a huge help to us. Uh, every month is a stretch to be candid with you. Uh, and perhaps their goal is to make sure I shut up. Well, as you've just seen over the last hour, I won't shut up. <laughs> nope. I will never shut up. Uh, and I'm grateful to you, David, uh, for having me here today. Uh, folks, the book speaks for itself. If you're interested in the Kennedy assassination, there are other books. But the, as I said, it's, they all have a particular focus. I try to look at every aspect of it, whether it's the mob or the CIA, or mm -hmm. Big Texas Oil, uh, or the banking industry. Uh, I try to look at this from every point of view, and I think I've come up with a comprehensive answer, uh, and I stand behind my book. So, David, I want to thank you for having me today. I want to thank those who buy the book. I want to thank those who go to my pillow and use promo code STONE. Yes, I, I'm not afraid or embarrassed to tell you I, I need your help. But lastly and most importantly, I would not be here but for the mighty power of Jesus Christ. Mm. When I hit rock bottom, when it was being, when it became very clear to me that 
I was going to be sent to a, a, a penitentiary for seven to nine years because I allegedly lied to Congress under oath about Russian collusion that never actually happened. Uh, and I became angry and depressed uh, and distraught uh, and worried about what would happen to my poor wife while I was unjustly incarcerated. It was at that moment that I decided to turn my life over to Jesus Christ and everything from that moment has worked to my benefit. Putting my faith in Christ takes away fear. You replace fear with faith. Mm. Uh, the Lord has really powered me. The Lord has made everything clear to me. Uh, it's clear to me that I was saved for a specific purpose, for a specific job. Now, here's what I know, David. God doesn't reveal his entire plan to you all at once. Right. God reveals his plan to you and what his plan for you is when he needs you to know it, when it's time for you to know it. So I believe that I was saved. My life was spared for some greater purpose. I think that greater purpose has to do with Donald Trump's return to the White House. I traveled with him uh, three days this week. It was like old times. I'm highly confident that he can and will win again. Uh, I pray every day for guidance and strength. Uh, am I a saint? No, very far from it. Am I a prophet? Not in the slightest. Am I anything special? I am merely a soldier in the army of God, but it has completely changed my life. Mm. I admit I was a libertine in my younger days. I did crazy things when I was younger, but that's not the person I am today. I'm living proof that Jesus Christ can do anything. If he can save a hard-boiled political operative from dying in a dank Georgia prison in a stacked Soviet-style show trial as yep. a result of a kangaroo court, then the Lord can do anything. So my final admission to your listeners is put your faith in Jesus Christ. I have, and it has saved me, and it has saved my wife. Well, I, I thank you for being on here. Uh, Flyover family, everybody enjoys this conspiracy conversation series. Um, this is episode 12. We had over a million downloads on the podcast alone with this so far. We know you guys are enjoying it because you're so malnourished for truth and you're looking for it. You just got an hour dose of it right there. If you want a steady flow of it, go to rogerstonesubstack.com. And again, uh, go to mypillow.com. Use promo code STONE on anything in the entire store and you get the discounts attached to that. And uh, this book makes an incredible gift. If you know anybody that's that's slightly aware mentally. It's an incredible gift, and it's a uh, compliment to their intellect to purchase a book like this for them. Roger, thank you so much. I look forward to seeing you in Las Vegas in August at the Reawaken America event and getting to hear you speak again. It's always a pleasure. I appreciate being here again. If you want the book, don't bother going to Amazon. Go to stonezone.com in the store. Uh, you'll pay less, uh, and you won't be giving money to a multinational corporation that hates your guts. Stonezone.com. David, thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining us again this week. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Uh, again, I had over 14, 14 pages of notes preparing uh, for this conversation and uh, enjoyed Roger so much. So I hope you enjoyed that and uh, we'll take a, cl a close look at his book. Um, this show was brought to you by uh, flyovergold.com, which is basically just a link to get you in to a conversation with Dr. Dr. Kirk Elliott. You know, we do weekly economic updates with Dr. Dr. Kirk each week. I call him Dr. Dr. because he has not one, but two PhDs and uh, he's perfectly equipped for this time we're in to advise you on what's the best thing to do if you have an IRA. Can you move it over with no penalties, no downsides, and turn into real 
physical gold that's stored in a depository and works the same as your IRA has been before, but in a way that's protected from inflation and what seems to be an, an intentional crash on the dollar. The dollar is worth less each and every single day. And we all see that happening, but what can you do about it? Well, one is hedge against it by having physical gold or physical silver. Right now, the gap between the price of gold and silver is greater than it should be. So we're kind of you know, working on the assumption that that is going to close and silver is the better move. Silver also, when you can get physical silver, you can buy it in bullion form. You can again, physically have it, store it in a depository. They help that process happen and make it simple and easy and stress-free. It's not mystical or how, you know, how do I do it? They have a lot of advisors that can walk you through. Here's what you can do if you have cash and you want to make a transfer. Maybe there's something in your home that you're like, this is not even serving me. It's an old lawnmower. I got two lawnmowers. I'll sell the old lawnmower and just then take a thousand dollars and get silver uh, and change it into something. You can get small coins. A one ounce coin of silver should be less than $25. That's kind of the, the spot price right now. I don't know what it is at this exact moment, but uh, this isn't something that should be cost prohibitive to, and keep you away. If, if things change with the dollar in a quick format, silver is going to double quadruple. It's going to go up in value. I don't know exactly how much, you know, and it's kind of speculative, but it's, it can do nothing but go up because they can't make more of it. Uh, it's, it's something you mine. It comes from the ground. The bankers can't just add zeros to it. So this is something that you could have that protects you. And it's going to have value. It has for thousands of years and it'll continue to go up. I always use the example in 1917, you could go buy a men's suit with one ounce of gold or a $20 bill. And same thing today, that same ounce of gold, the one ounce of gold, if you could go back in time and bring it into the present, that one ounce of gold would still buy you a whole men's suit at any men's store in America. The $20 bill, if you're going to go back in time to 1917, you had a time machine and bring it to right now, what could it get you? Maybe a pair of socks. It couldn't get you a suit for sure. And that's what's happening to the dollar, but it's happening so fast now. We see it. We feel it each and every time we're at the store. That's why physical assets protect you from that gap. And again, we're headed to a place where a lot of people are predicting a huge increase in gold and silver. And uh, um, that is the place to be thing I like about Kirk is my wife and I, we've known him for over 25 years. His dad was a mentor of ours when we were first married. He has the highest integrity that you could possibly ask for. Um, he's a good, godly Christian man that you can trust. And, uh, you know, ask some simple questions, you know, talk to him, talk to some other people that maybe offer the same service, find out if they charge a commission when you sell, see if, uh, they, which he does not, he's betting on this going up and you don't pay a commission on that increase. And so you benefit from that. Um, ask, you know, what is the actual spot price that you're paying per ounce for silver? I've heard horror stories, people paying 50, 60, 70, $80 more an ounce for silver because it has a, a funny story with it or something interesting. All they care is how many ounces does something weigh? And is it certified pure silver? And uh, what's the weight? That's what will matter when you go to sell it and buy bullion. That's the only advice I give you wherever you get it. Buy bullion, don't buy stories, buy something that'll have that great value when you go to sell it. And you can go to flyovergold.com. They'll take incredible care of you. And uh, every person we've ever had, we got my mother-in-law, my family, everybody that we know go through Dr. Dr. Kirk Elliott. And uh, they're all extremely happy and they can sleep well at night because they can exhale and know that part of their world. They can check the box. They did the responsible thing and uh, got that taken care of. So go to go today. The link's down below. You can follow a link or, or uh, reach out to them any 
number of ways that information's all below flyovergold.com. Thank you so much for being a part of this show. Thank you for part of being the flyover family and uh, join us again next week, next Saturday for another conspiracy conversation and can't wait to see you then. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Flyover Conservatives podcast with David and Stacey Whited. Please subscribe, hit the notification bell, and leave us a comment below. Lastly, if you enjoyed today's podcast, share with those who came to mind. Be blessed and make it a great day. Hey.